That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. It's the most Lenten time of the year, Lent 3. We're in the thick of it. We are in the thick of it. And, uh, it's um, thick Lent. You know, just longing and dreaming of chocolate. That's all I'm doing. And so, um, just kidding. That's the thing everybody um, gives up. Why chocolate? It's so interesting. Why not mints? Yeah. Why not mouthwash? I, What's up with chocolate? I, lo- I, lo- I love how the collect kicks off. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves Ooh. to help ourselves. Zinger, low anthropology. Um, yes, as Episcopalians, we believe in low anthropology. It's an amazing prayer, and I don't know how... I'm really glad that Cranmer did his work in the uh, 16th century, because this would not pass the, the <laughs> workshop today. The, the focus group would not let this one ever see the light of day. What? It's so offensive. What do you mean we have no power in ourselves? The whole basis of Western society is based on the idea that we have power to help ourselves. Mm. We, mm. America, pull itself up by the bootstraps and self-determination yeah. self, um, and, and uh, you know, all of that. Um, but yeah, no, no power in ourselves. This is a very Psalm 51, very Anglican, very Episcopalian thing to say, very biblical thing to say, but it's not something that people like to say in general. Mm. But we sneak it in the collect and we make people say it. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. I love it. So, um, how are you, Aaron? We're in the thick of it. I'm okay. Uh, I am. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm just. You know, as Joe Namath said, uh, paraphrasing. If I got any holier, I don't. I couldn't stand it. You know. Mm. I do notice you're. You are glowing. Mm. You and uh, Moses. That's probably the, I, there's, the foundation I use has a little bit of glitter in it. Just. Mm. Just like mm. a dash, a dusting. It's good. Yeah, just a sparkle. It's good. Uh, anyways, I can tell you, I'll tell you the brand later. Uh, I don't want to, we're not, we're not sponsored by anyone. Okay. So Lent three, everybody, uh, we begin this with, uh, Exodus 17, Romans five, John four. So we kind of, you know, last week we were in Genesis four. So kind of jumping around in the Hebrew scriptures, the old Testament a little bit, but at least with the epistle and the gospel reading, we're in the same books. We're still in Romans. We're still in John. We're kind of moving forward here. But again, just like last week, even though Lent is this penitential season where we're all supposed to feel terrible about ourselves, uh, we get these incredible, gracious words. And this is the wonderful thing about Lent. We're honest about who we are, and yet we are also completely uh, turning up to 11, the idea of God's grace. So Mm. um, in Exodus 17, this is part of the Israelites. You know, they were rescued from slavery in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, Matt Miraculous. They were supposed to go right into, uh, the promised land, but they don't. They're wandering in the desert. And this is part of that wandering time. And they're in the wilderness mm. of sin, which is just the name of the place. It has nothing to do with being sinful or anything like that. Uh, they're there and they come to a place called Rephidim. There's no water. The people 
quarrel. They want water and they don't trust God, even though God has said he'll protect them. He's just done miracles. They've just seen him destroy the army of the world's greatest superpower at the time. And they think that that God is this capricious God who's going to let them die now. And this is how a lot of people work. They, God has saved them. They love them. It's wonderful. And then they get to a crisis in their life and say, oh, this is the time when God's going to drop me on my head. He had me up until now. But, and so we, we are very, we're not, we're not good at trusting. We're not good at trusting mm. God. And so uh, the Israelites get mad and they blame Moses and they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Remember, they were slaves. It was terrible. No human rights, no property rights. Awful, awful, awful oppression. And they're like, why did you bring us out of the terrible oppression just to kill us? And uh, we know that they're really angry because Moses tells God, they're they're about to stone me. They want to kill me. This they've they found a scapegoat for their problems. Um, and then what happens, Jake? Well, I think you know that that line. I love it. And so, pastors, if uh, you ever feel, just know if your congregation ever wants to kill you, you're oftentimes in good company. That's right. And so, just like um, Mo, you know. But um, uh, the Lord said to Moses, "Go go on ahead of the people and take." So basically, they go and. With this staff that has, uh, you know, turned the Nile into blood and all of these things, strike a rock and uh, water will come out of it. This is quite a miracle and the people will drink. And literally Moses does exactly that. And um, and the people um, <clears throat> drink and he poses this question and says, um, uh, is the Lord an, um, among us or not? And uh, are you kidding? That water just came out of the rocks. And so this is some. This is a very powerful like thing that I think that's being taught here is that sometimes you know, miracles and like spiritual moments and things like that don't really uh, produce um, faith. What produces faith? What produces trust in God is the Word. But there's something interesting about that rock. And what is it, Aaron? Do you know? Uh, it was kind of shiny. No, the rock is Christ. That's right. As you said last week, the. Old Testament is about Jesus, and that's the Christian position. And it's not just the Christian position because some people thought that it should be the Christian position, the Pope or Martin Luther or some, right. some people that cooked this up a long time ago. It is the position because this is what Jesus said. If you read Luke 24, he's walking with mm -hmm. the disciples on the way to Emmaus, the day of Easter, his first, the first Easter ever, Resurrection Sunday. He's walking with mm -hmm. his disciples in the afternoon, in the evening, and it says that he explained to them all the the law and the prophets uh, and how it was all about him. Uh, and so this is what Jesus himself says. And, and so when we read this passage, and the New Testament comments on this very passage, Paul says the rock was Christ. This That's rock right. is Christ. And so mm -hmm. there's this um, powerful image here where the sinful Israelites who are complaining who are bickering, they are like your children on a road trip. You're taking them to the most amazing place ever. You're going to see Old Faithful at Yellowstone National Park, the jewel of the park system, and all they can talk about in the car on the way there is like, ah, oh, my iPad ran out of batteries. You know, these are just children bickering in the desert after seeing amazing stuff by God, uh, by God's hand. And yet God still says, and they want to kill Moses, their own leader. And, and God still says, okay, I'll give you water. And I'm going to do it in this really amazing miraculous way yeah and and that is uh, you know um and the the truth is is that we are always um we're always looking for temporary satisfaction you know we want god to be our great sky fairy mm -hmm. and um and uh, what jesus says is that those who come to me um will never thirst um because he is ultimately the living water 
And so once again, kind of like what we nailed, we, we talked about last week was um, the type and the shadow. This is a shadow driving us to the type, the type which is Christ, who answers all of our needs and quenches our thirst for salvation. He's the one who quenches our thirst for a relationship with God. He's the one who quenches our... Uh, um, our great questions and our and our profound desires to be something more. Um, he is that thirst that brings ultimate fulfillment. Yeah. And and no, so if you read some biblical scholars about this, they'll tell you that there's this kind of mountain uh, that is made of sandstone near where Horeb sits that can retain water and that there are some Bedouin shepherds today who will kind of chip away or strike at this rock and water will come out. Um uh, and, and so that's one way that people sort of will say, oh, this isn't really a miracle. Just like sometimes people do this with the New Testament, they try to kind of explain away the miracles of Christ. But the thing with this is even if um, uh, that's our understanding of the text, and that's a fine understanding of the text, there's no way that the Israelites who were not Bedouin uh, uh, shepherds would have known this. Um, and so even with that interpretation, God in his mercy is showing them in a place that's unfamiliar to them, they don't know how the ecosystem works. This is how you get water. I've been here all along, and I'm here here with you. And it's still obviously very much uh, you don't lose the interpretation about uh, the rock being Christ. Um, uh, that his his presence, his power, his mercy is with you all the time, um, and it has to sort of be broken in order to be received. Mm. This yeah, absolutely, and you know, and this is why Moses doesn't go by himself to do it. He takes the elders with him, the representatives of the people, um, so that they might see with their very eyes. Um, but but ultimately, um, ultimately, Israel, like all of us, um, doesn't doesn't want God for the ultimate um, satisfaction. We want Him just simply to pacify us, you know. We want God to work for us, not the other way around. And um, and uh, this is this is ultimately um, Israel's problem. But God does provide, and He provides in the most amazing ways. And one of the other things too that's interesting about this passage is that Moses names the place Massa and Meribah, which is basically like naming him naming these places Testingville or Quarrelsburg. Like it, it yeah. the place you would think it'd be named for this miracle of the water from the rock. Mm. But instead, it's mm. named for the sinful stubbornness uh, and faithless attitude of the people. Um, it's just, it's interesting. God provides, it's a miracle, but but it comes in the midst of some sinful people. And that's, that's if you were to go back and visit the place, you wouldn't say, this was the magic water from the rock place. This <laughs> this is the place where people bitched yeah. and moaned about how God wasn't good to them. That's the name. Welcome to Bitching and Moaningville is basically <laughs> the name right. of the place. Um, it's, it, it's, and because, and to me, that's more gracious because if you did then say, and this is where the water from the rock came, that's a story of yeah. grace. This is a place where we didn't deserve it and we still got water. <laughs> if it's just called water from the rock place, oh, a miracle happened here. That's great. Mm, the miracle takes on much great. more grace when you realize how little the people actually deserved the miracle. So it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a the names here of all these things are very meaningful. Uh, and so there are places in your life that you would also, if you were to name certain periods of your life based on your sinfulness, um, you know, we talk about our college years or our, you know, young family years, but what if we call, those are my alcoholic years, those are my narcissistic years, those are my materialistic years. And if you see the hand of God working in all that, 
time, then that's a pretty amazing testimony of his grace. That's good. Yes. That's really good. Yes, it is. That's why I'm here, Jake. <laughs> and the world thanks you. Yes. Well, so, so. yeah, so we, we've gotten now some grace from Exodus 17, and um, and we get to Romans 5, uh, mm. and, and, and um, uh, we find here one of these wonderful, just industrial strength, beautiful gospel passages where just right out of the gate, Paul says, therefore, since we're justified by faith. And that, I mean, you can preach a whole sermon just on that, that we have peace That's, with God through yeah. our Lord Jesus Christ, that yeah. there's you cannot be any more good enough together. Mm. You, 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 you have it all. You have peace with God. Um, the, I mean, I think, yeah, this kind of builds up to last week as well, what we were talking about. Um, uh, Paul is continuing to appeal to... Um, this idea he's not making a new religion up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think, you know, one of the things you can really preach on if you want to teach from this text um, is what is faith? You know, what is faith actually about? Um, and uh, faith ultimately is not like, um, is uh, not a power or a general sense of optimism. Mm. Uh, faith is the gift uh, that justifies us by not doing but resting and receiving. And uh, this is this is really important. That's what faith is about. And uh, faith is the gift that God gives you. And uh, to believe that you've been justified, despite all evidence to the contrary, this is one of these passages where this concept of elite, like justification's illegal fiction, mm. is blown right out of the water. No, no, this is how you have actually peace. And when Paul speaks about peace here in Romans five, he's not speaking about you know, um, kind of you know like a peace in a hippie sense. He is speaking about peace in the sense that you have a clear conscience mm-hmm. uh, from all of the accusations that are coming at you. Uh, faith is a real gift that is given to you that li- literally justifies you before the ultimate judge. Mm. Yeah, and we have some incredible language as well here about uh, that continues the some of the ideas from last Sunday or you know in last episode the of this podcast the the fact that God uh, takes things that are dead and makes them alive he doesn't make mm-hmm. things that are good better or things that are bad mm-hmm. good he takes dead things and makes them alive so we have this in verse eight while we were sinners Christ died for us while we were still weak Christ died for the ungodly mm-hmm. while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son so basically th- and this is Paul's story he was all these things killing Christians persecuting Christians and even and he did not he did not come to his senses and then repent and return to the Lord and then get picked to be this incredible missionary and Bible writer. He he was in those sins. He was dead. He was weak. He was an uh, enemy, an enemy of God. And and he was picked and he was chosen. He was brought in. And this is the character and heart of God. And so while many of the people in your congregation will not have stories like that personally, many of them were raised in the church and never ever thought of themselves as enemies of God. But I guarantee you there's a part of their inner person, a part of their being, a corner of their heart that is opposed to God. There is a part there that will need to come and continually, as we say in the, in the you, you read this on Ash Wednesday, if you're using the Book of Common Prayer for your service um, that day, that we continually have a need of repentance and mm. returning to the Lord. So 
Uh, so the people in your congregation that feel like even more enemies because they're sort of hypocritical, they believe in God, they follow, try to follow Christ, but they don't have their act together and there's just pain and mm. sin in their lives. Um, we are reminded here that the heart of God is if you're an enemy, you're reconciled. Um, if you're weak, yeah. you have someone who died for you. If you, if you're a sinner, uh, um, it's in that that Christ died for you. So there's just a ton of grace here, this justification by grace through faith. And it's just a beautiful thing, this idea of God's love pouring into our hearts. If people don't leave your church on Lent 3, knowing that God's love has been poured into their hearts, preacher, uh, rewrite your sermon. Because they, yeah. they need to know that as they, as they leave. Because this is, I mean, that's going to be the same idea that we get in, in John chapter 4. Anything else you want to say about Romans 5 before we move on yeah. to that, Jake? I would, I would say that, um, you know, the idea right at the end is what, what life actually looks like, um, what life looks like, the justified life looks like. Uh, Paul is really stressing this. Um, you know, he says, much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved um, through him from the wrath of God? And then for while we, if, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Mm. So um, like the emphasis here is that like the reality of what your peace with this peace of God brings. Um, and it really should settle the, like much more should it settle your conscience. Mm. You know, it's not just kind of like, hey, I'm okay, but like much more surely, like this is a reality for you right now. And so um, sinners, uh, I'm sinners, uh, uh, preachers, but you're sinners too. Um, not mutually exclusive terms. Them. Yeah, give this to them and uh, and uh, assure them that like they're actually living in a new reality right now. That is the good news of the gospel is that it's changed everything. They, they are innocent, not, not just not guilty, but innocent before God of all wrongdoing. Yeah. And a lot of people in with, you know, this verse 10, while we we're enemies, we were reconciled. And if that's true, now that we've been reconciled, how much more will be saved by his life? This is so comforting because a lot of people have a version of Christianity where they know that they were enemies of God. They were reconciled with God. And now they think they have to keep God happy with their good behavior. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, if while you were God's enemy how lavishly mm -hmm. he poured his grace on you, reconciled you. Yeah. How much more now that you're That's a Christian right. who's like trying hard and mostly failing, but you know <laughs> you know who Jesus is. You call him the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in you. How much more, having been reconciled, will you be saved? Like God is not going to drop you now. He doesn't get you saved and then say, yeah. now it's up to you. He's with yeah. you and will be with you and will be saving you. Um, by his life, as Paul says in verse 10 here, he's going to continue to walk through this life with you mm. and do his work in you from beginning to end. So rest in that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's, and as you, as you mess it up, he's going to get you the punch at the dance. Like he is there to serve you and to love you. Huh. And the truth is, is that he is, he is, he is actually, he, um, I love this. And this is what flows right into the gospel. It just hit me. We even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Yeah. And this is what John chapter four, verses five through 42. It's a long, 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 long gospel reading, but it is all about is reconciliation, reconciliation um, in the present. And uh, as I'll get to in a minute, reconciliation in the long run. But what do you think about that, Aaron? Yeah, it, I mean, basically John 4 is a case study, an illustration 
of what we see theologically explained in Romans 5. Mm. And so uh, Jesus is traveling uh, in a Samaritan city, which means he would have intentionally gone through Samaria mm. because Jews which never did bad. that. He, he yeah. chose to drive through the wrong part of town and not take the expressway. He chose to do surface roads uh, and not... Um, uh, you know, uh, not avoid it. And uh, there's a lot of history here. And Jake, you'll talk about that in a sec um, from the Old Testament. But he's sitting by a well at noon and um, and he um, this woman comes up and says, give me some water. Now, the fact that she's coming at noon means that she's an outcast because she comes at the hottest time of the day. No one ever would go there. You know, it's like the, the grocery store in town. Like there's these same old guys that go every day of the week in Waco, Texas. They go to the HEB and they go there to drink their coffee and sit at the deli counter and just shoot the breeze. And uh, and if one of them was exiled from that group, you know, he would know that if he wants to get his coffee, he needs to do it at a different time of day so he doesn't get ridiculed. So the, the fact mm. that she's coming at noon and, is the mm. worst. And isn't it interesting she's asking uh, or um, um, uh, uh, he uh, he asks her the very question that Israel um, yes, give that me a Israel drink. asks. So yeah, it's awesome. It's brilliant. And so he says to her, give me a drink because we learned that the disciples had gone to the city to buy more Doritos. Some eggs. You know, eggs. yeah, some, uh, I think some Ho-Hos as well. Uh, <laughs> and and then, but but Peter probably wanted like a kind bar or something. And a pinwheel. They had a pinwheel. They, they were there, like. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is the kind of insight you get from Same Old Song. You won't get this anywhere else, people. Make a donation today. <laughs> so uh, Jesus, um, uh, uh, and she get in this conversation because he asked her for food. And again, it's important to note that he initiates. By the way, Jake has been laughing silently for the last 30 minutes. I just, I kept, uh, I have in my mind that scene from Dumb and Dumber, you know, when they're like, only the essentials. And they like, they have like a case of beer and a pinwheel and a giant cowboy hat. And they're like, I picture that's what the disciples are getting. So um, uh, in town, he's like, only the essentials. And they got like a case of beer and a pinwheel and a giant cowboy hat. But anyway. The inner workings of the mind of Jacob Smith, yeah. unfathomable to all. We pity <laughs> my wife can't we, stand we, it at all. Pity so oh. she's like, that's what you were thinking about. But anyway. <laughs> uh, you look like you're listening, but really you're thinking yeah. about Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. Well, she's like, how did you even get there from that? But anyway. Uh, okay. Now we're back. I'm going to have another cough drop. Hey, do it. Do it. Hit it. Uh, <laughs> these are real sound effects, people. Jake is actually sick, really eating cough drops. So uh, he's had this conversation, and I was, as I was saying before I was interrupted mm-hmm. by, Sorry by myself, uh, he says, give me a drink. He's the one that takes the initiative to ask her. He begins a conversation because she, as a Jewish woman, would never ask him, or a Samaritan woman would a never Samaritan ask him. Uh, so he initiates by... Taking this position in maybe a sense of humility, like, you know, I need something that you can get me because I don't have a bucket or whatever. And she sees this immediately. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? He, she, is, she is aware that he's crossing boundaries. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. A lot of people are going to try to make this passage, well, not make it. It is about gender differences. It is about cultural differences. It is about ethnic differences. It is about all those dividing lines that people make among themselves and use it to have power over other groups. It is about that. Jesus is intentionally crossing boundaries to bring his message to people. But this passage is not just about uh, um, uh, just kind of a—it's not just that. 
it's it's right. it's about um, salvation from the thing that you're most terrified of coming out. It's it's about your secrets being revealed and the rejection that you'll face when that happens. And instead of being rejected, you get forgiven and you get loved and you get accepted. Um, that's what this passage is about. And Jesus has to cross all these boundaries, gender, culture, class, religion, in order to give her the message of grace from God that she so desperately longs to hear. Um, because he doesn't solve the gender, race, class, religion, issues here. He doesn't solve any of those problems. He doesn't make them go away. He crosses the boundaries, though, to get her the message that she needs. So that's just that's a little right. little point there. If you hear a sermon that only makes this about, we need to go to people that are different than us, yes, yes, for sure. But there's so much more here. Why do you go to people that are different than you? Mm -hmm. Because you want to bring them the message of the gospel. So anyway, so, he, so she is taken aback that he talks to her because they're from such different backgrounds and all that. She, he's a man, she's a woman, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Um, and he then says to her, actually, I'm the one that can give you living water. So he doesn't even answer the question. He just, he just says, I have living water. You should be asking me. And she, for a while they go back and forth, she's taking everything very literally. She talks about buckets and the depth of the well and all this stuff. And, mm. and she wants to get into sort of a Bible argument with him about Jacob and all this. And, but his point is that I have living water and I can give it to you. And then verse 16, he hits with the pastoral plot twist and he says, go call your husband and come back. And it turns mm -hmm. out she says, I have no husband. And he's like, exactly. Aha. I mentioned like Billy Crystal in, mm -hmm. uh, in the Princess Bride playing Miracle Max. Mm -hmm. Aha. Aha. And he says, uh, yeah, she, he says, yeah, I know you're right. You have no husband uh, because you have had five husbands. And the one you have now right. is just your boyfriend. He's not even your, which would have been super scandalous back then to be with a guy that you're not married to. Uh, and so mm. some people to make this out to mean she was a really kind of a promiscuous woman. Maybe yes, maybe no. Because to have had five husbands means that, I mean, it could be that they've died. Uh, we don't say that, it, but the implication when he says the one you have now is not your husband, it gets it implies a little bit of she's outside of the normal boundaries of social structures here. Um, but to get divorced, let's say they didn't die, let's say they're all divorces. To get divorced back then, a wife could not get divorced. The husband has to divorce her, and he could divorce her for something as little as, uh, you know, we ran out of pickles, and I told you to get pickles, and so I divorce you. So we don't really know what the reasons were, but it does seem, based on her reaction, um, and later she says, he told me everything I ever did. It seems like there's some part of this equation where she maybe has, has um, lived in a way that it's not God's best, uh, shall we say. That's what people like to say when like somebody's a sinner. Well, I don't know about that choice. I don't think it's God's best for your life. So Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there's something so uh, he then says uh, basically God is looking for people that worship him apart from any of these cultural divisions, class divisions, because everybody is everybody's a sinner, everybody needs the grace of God, and so there's this new way of worshiping that's coming. Um and the incredible thing is she becomes an evangelist. So I'm talking a lot. I'm going to stop, Jake. You you jump in and save me here. I'm going to have a drink of water. Well, I think uh, that, you know, I love, so if you're, you know, yeah, a lot of the instinct would be to preach on the boundaries here. And boundaries are, are forms of the law. That's what they are. And uh, one of the reasons why Jesus can cross boundaries is because he is the law fulfiller. 
And, um, and so he comes and he, and I love how he like draws her out. She goes from you're a Jew to, um, you know, uh, sir, to then perceiving that he's a prophet. Yeah. Then, you know, and then, um, um, and then finally confessing that he is the Messiah, the Christ. Yep. And, um, and this is like a very, very beautiful thing that, um, that he does. And it really shows that, you know, um, the gospel and just, you know, continuing to give people this word and this law fulfiller Jesus that over time or sometimes instantly, but um, really brings people along. And I've seen this in my own congregation time and time again. People who have like thought Jesus is just some, you know, random old guy to like finally confessing him as Lord as uh, they long for that living water and they begin to realize that their soul thirsts. But this concept of boundary breaking, because Jesus is the lawbreaker, but also or law fulfiller, but also a reconciliation mm-hmm. uh, that's going on here. And actually, you know, that all of the Old Testament points unto me, all of the law and the prophets point unto me. And this is like one of those great moments. Um, <clears throat> if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 34, there's this... Um, um, active revenge that takes place. Basically, um, the town of Shechem, which is also known as Sakar, uh, there was a... Which um, is the, the place where the, the story happens. Yeah, the tribal leader there, his son falls in love with one of uh, Jacob's daughters, and um, and uh, she's raped. And uh, like the family comes out and are extremely penitential, and Jacob comes to a place with the father where they agree that this family will be brought into the fold be brought into the fold. And so while they are recovering from their circumcision, Levi and another one of his brothers goes in and slaughters everybody, mm. slaughters everybody at Shechem. Here he is, the, 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 the founding, like the head of the priestly tribe goes in and kills everybody. I mean, just slaughters them. And so much so that Jacob looks at Levi and says, you are a man of, like, you are a man of violence. And uh, this is a big deal. And But Sikar has been brought into the fold, even though everybody's dead. It's brought into the fold. But like these ripple effects, these ramifications, the sin that, that, that takes place that causes harm, it, it, it flows. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, Sikar becomes the place where Rehoboam leads 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel astray in order to form the nation of Samaria. And this is kind of part of that theological conversation about the mountain versus the temple. And indeed, the temple is important at that moment in Jesus's time, but Jesus is going to become the new temple. But here it is, and this is very powerful. Jesus, you know, the the reconciler, the one who breaks, uh, uh, fulfills boundaries and can cross them. He comes in. And, uh, and he finally shows up here to this town called Shechem, where he meets the Samaritan woman. And uh, profoundly moved by this encounter, the Samaritan woman, she makes her way back to Shechem. And instead of slaughtering everybody once again mm. from the fulfillment of the tribe of Levi, um, she, hears, uh, she goes and tells the whole village, uh, come and see um, the one who's the savior of the world. And I think it's just this beautiful, beautiful tie-in uh, where you see the Bible um, beginning in Genesis and going all the way here ultimately to Revelation is about Jesus and his act of boundary breaking and fulfilling 
and his work in reconciliation, not only in this woman's life, but in all of our lives. Yeah. And so we have here this woman having her life sort of cracked open, uh, and she has to be honest. And she receives, instead of judgment, love, and that is the transformative thing. And if you want to talk about that uh, with your people, folks, that will preach. If your life uh, was in tomorrow's headlines, what would the impact be? Would you be judged or praised? You'd probably be judged if your whole life was up there. It's Jacob Smith, none other than Jacob Smith, is sort of famous for saying, this is your one-liner, Jake. Everybody, a lot of people know this, it's got a lot of mileage to it. Um, everybody is three days away from being in the tabloids, and we're all living on day two. This idea that you have stuff going on in your life that if it were to be publicized, you would be rejected, judged, and canceled. Uh, and um, that's what happens to this woman. But instead of getting canceled, she gets loved. And I love the sense of joy and euphoria. You see, she leaves her water jar, meaning she just – she because she's got to move fast. She's got to go tell everybody and see to the, what happened and who she met. When you've been loved, um, as Adam Sandler says in Punch Drunk Love, um, I've got a love in me that makes me more powerful than you will ever understand. This is what happens when you're loved in the midst of your sin. So she leaves her jug there. She runs to tell everybody um, and and then brings people to see him. Because this you never find this. You never find somebody who will love instead of judge. So if you find someone like that, you want everybody to meet that person. And she's an evangelist. Again, this is another example of Jesus lifting up women and the, and the scripture writers lifting up women in a time when they were not necessarily respected. Um, but she is the one that, that, that causes, because of the woman's testimony, people believe. And it's interesting, her testimony is not, he was really nice or he taught me how to, he taught me about the kingdom of God or he, he told me the Beatitudes or anything. He, he told me everything I ever done. He, he yeah. was he helped me be honest about myself and I was forgiven in that. And that's, that's the, that's the priceless thing. That's what nobody ever, ever gets. And so she wants everybody. So she's an evangelist. Mm. She becomes a pastor in a sense, um, a missionary yeah, to her own preacher. people. Mm. Yeah. And so, and many more believed because of his word. And so, you know, um, and I love how it ends. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe for, for we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. And indeed, that's, um, that's who Jesus is, the savior of the world. And that, kids, boys and girls, truly is just the essentials. Mm. All right. Till next week. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but... Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.